the next two weeks, I'm going to talk to you how anybody can get saved. And really, I remember asking a couple of Mormons, I said, tell me how I can get to heaven. And uh, it took them half hour to hum and haw and go around the block, and they never could tell me how to get saved and how to go to heaven. I said, all right, give me four minutes, and I'll tell you how to get to heaven. It doesn't, it's not complicated. It doesn't take a lot. I'm going to take you through some scriptures and give you a good understanding because when you're dealing with people, usually you're dealing with a lot of confusion. You're dealing with a lot of self-righteousness. So as we do this thing, I'm going to look at Romans. We're going through verse by verse to the book of Romans, and I want to show you the scriptures. And, and as a matter of fact, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how to get saved. And then the next week, I'm going to talk about soul winning and just what are we supposed to do? And I can't save anybody. All right. I, I can barely you know, explain you know, the, the, the deep things of God, but I can tell somebody how to be saved. I can tell anybody. I don't care if you're six years old or 96. The gospel is simple. All right. Don't make it complicated. Make it simple. Make it right down at the floor so somebody can grab it and go, I want that. So I'm going to really try to do that as we go through, as we come in through now in, in um, Romans chapter 10. We, and, and I have to say that Romans uh, chapter 9, uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 has been awesome. Uh, it, is, um, it is, Paul has been writing about sin. About God's righteous wrath against sin, against God's righteous wrath against people who commit sin and break his laws. But he's also explained about absolute and complete forgiveness. He has, through Romans chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, he's talked about how sin is defeated. Sin does not have and should not have dominion over us anymore. All the great truths of the Christian life are described in the book of Romans, getting perfect righteousness. But it's amazing that it's no good just talking about God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's justification if no one else knows how to get it. It'd be awful uh, for us to sit in church and learn these great truths and never mention it one day, one minute outside of these walls. See, if this is good enough, it can't just be good enough for us. It's good enough for everybody. It'd be like you going around and, and talking about a price. You got a priceless gift and not tell anybody where to go and get it themselves. A valuable gift may not be important to you at the moment. But if you were starving, I mean, the value, you, we just saying, saved, saved, saved. If you know that you're saved, it should have just been exploding from you. If you've realized the value of your salvation. Now, maybe it's not important to you, but I want to put it in a, a um, that's the first time I've heard him cry, man. Uh if, you're, if, if you were starving and someone came along and told you about the most marvelous dinner that you've ever eaten and a place that you could find such food and rest and safety, and it's all free, a place where you never felt so loved in your life, and then you walk away from them and never tell where to find it. That's pretty rude, amen? I mean, honestly, we have, a, we have a life that we're living and the world's wondering what's different about them. Tell them what's different. Tell them where to find it. So every time we get together as a church and we sing and we praise God, don't go out of here and leave it inside this building. Okay? Our Christianity is supposed to be lived outside of these walls, not just in here. So uh, we come to um, Romans chapter 10, and Paul's going to tell us, give us his attitude about the lost. Because he sees people as more than just people, all right? Uh, people to him 
uh, weren't just flesh and bones. They were souls. See, Paul was in the Middle East, and there were a lot of cultures, a lot of different nationalities, all intermingling. Where, where Paul was in Israel, there was a huge migrational path from Africa into Turkey and into the Europe, and Europeans were going over into Arabia. There was a huge cross of hundreds of cultures. And Paul never once looked and said, oh, there's a black man, oh, there's a white guy, oh, there's brown, and there's green. He never noticed that. He didn't notice beautiful people or ugly people. Didn't notice them whether they were skinny or fat. He didn't notice whether they were successful or failures. He saw people as souls. And we got to do the same. Made in the image of God, made to live forever, and probably not saved. He saw them, secondly, as priceless. If you will, we're going to be in Romans, but I want you to go to Mark chapter 8. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. We've got a few scriptures to get to before we get into Romans 10. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Mark 8, verse 36 and 37. Jesus asks, what shall it profit a man if he could gain the how much? The whole world. If you could gain it, all be yours and yet lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You go to a different country and you exchange euros for peso, pesos. That's an exchange, all right? You, 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 you get dollars and you change it for ruples. I don't know what you're doing, but there's an exchange in value. What could you exchange for your soul? What is the value of a soul? When, when, when Paul is writing, he says, if you added up all of the platinum, all of the lithium, all the cobalt, all the money, all the crops, all the land, all the water, all the air. You put all the value of this world together would not be the value of just one soul. Do you understand that? It's incomprehensible. It's inconceivable. It's beyond calculating. Paul looked around at people and he saw them as priceless. Third thing, he thought that they needed to be saved. Look in Luke 19. You're in Mark. Go to the right. Find Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> you know what the government says? The government says people need to be helped. And maybe they do. But a Christian doesn't look at people needing only help. What do Christians see people as? As people who need to be saved. I mean, I wish I could give money to all the people who need money. I wish I could afford housing for everybody. I wish I could do things for everybody I meet. But you know what? I can't. But that's not their biggest need. You know what their biggest need is? They're lost and without hope and without God. They're going to hell. They need to be saved. Luke 19.10, listen to what Jesus says. He says, the Son of Man, that's the Messiah. That's himself. The Son of Man is come to seek and to, lovely word, save that which was lost. First Timothy 1, go to the right, keep going in your Bible. A few more scriptures. First Timothy 1 and verse 15. If you get to Hebrews, went too far. So you're going to the right. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, everybody accepting it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to help sinners. Is that what it says? That's what most every other church is saying today. Jesus wants to help you. Jesus wants to make you happy. Jesus wants to fix your situation. No, he doesn't. 
See, a lot of people get saved and they wonder why their life still is, is falling apart, why things are harder sometimes, whatever. He didn't come to make your life perfect. He will do that one day. But he came to save your soul, which is far better. He said he came into this world to save sinners. And then Paul said it, of whom I'm chief. He said the first person in my life that God ever saved was me. And I'm glad he started with me. Now, let's go to... Uh, they need to be saved. And then lastly, that they are worth personal sacrifice. I need you to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians, go back to the left, find 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. Now, God gave us a, a, a perfect example in Christ, but he gave us another good example in the life of Paul, how to live the Christian life. And watch what he does here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. Paul saw people as worth personal sacrifice to be saved. It's like, it's like the royal uh, uh, life, um, RNLI, the lifeguards, um, and uh, these mountain rescue people and the fire brigade. You know what they've determined? Somebody stuck in a situation they're worth risking your life for. You ever notice people who do that? There are better people, aren't they? Well, a Christian looks at a lost person and says, whatever I have to put up with, whatever I have to do, I want them saved. Look in your Bible, 1 Corinthians uh, and verse 19, chapter 9, verse 19. For though I be free from all men, what a way to live. I don't want anybody controlling my life. Ah, yet have I made myself servant to how many? Was there anybody that he was not willing to come down, humble himself and serve and allow them to walk all over him? Did you hear my question? He said, I became servant unto all that I might gain the more. Verse 20, and unto the Jews, oh, I became as a Jew. Don't fight them. Talk to them. That I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, I didn't come in there and argue the law. I wanted to win them that are under the law. Verse 21, to them that are without the law. That's awesome. I talked to them without the law. Being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, he's going to explain that in a few minutes when we go to Romans. He never lived without law, but when he was talking to people, he didn't argue the law. He talked about their sin and their soul and their need to be saved. That I, look at the rest of verse 21, might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as what? Imagine going to a hospital and somebody's in there and they just had cancer treatment and they've had cancer surgery and they're there and they're barely breathing. And for you to come in and says. What's wrong with you? <laughs> How come you're not like me? You see, when you're dealing with somebody weak, you better come in just right alongside them and just hold their hand, not say a word. And Paul said, when somebody's weak and when they just realize I'm a failure, come in weak. That I might gain the weak. I am made. That's what God does. He fashions us. I am made all things to all men that by all means I might what? Save some. That's Paul. Paul did everything to win people to Jesus Christ. What are you doing? You see, the truth is only salvation changes things. You say, what about my family? What about my, my, my health? What about the, I, you, you may want something to come in as a fix to that problem when the core problem is sin in you that's pulling you down to hell. How about getting saved and let's see what God can do. So Paul's attitude about the losses, they need Jesus Christ. All right, now I'm glad you're in church, but this church can't save anybody. 
And people ought to come to church because this is a place where you're going to hear about Jesus Christ. But not every church is going to teach you about Jesus Christ. You need Jesus. So Romans 10 tells us and tells any, how anybody can get saved. Let's go to Romans 10. Go to left now. Go back to Romans. Just a few pages to Romans chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 1 where Paul starts. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. We're going to do these first three verses, and Paul's going to explain what's wrong with Israel. Somebody says, boy, Israel's really, man, they're doing a lot of damage over there in the Middle East. Well, Israel's always had bad history. You can talk about Israel all day, all day long. You know what the problem with Israel is? They're not saved. Look at your Bible, 10.1. Brethren, this is our memory verse. My heart's desire and prayer to God for who? For Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record. I can testify that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Paul starts with their spiritual condition. You know, God always, when he starts talking about nations and problems, he always points at Israel. Because Israel is his example. Now, they're not the best example. They're not like, you know, the perfect example. But he talks about Israel. And he starts off, and uh, uh, the Jewish people are important to God. Like they ought to be important to us. My heart's desire. Look, listen to his heart. Chapter 9. Go back to chapter 9 and verse 1. We read it already. Just one chapter back. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ. Because Paul, Paul, it was unbelievable that Paul be talking about this people that it seems like God has abandoned. No, he hasn't. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed. They're damned. They're going to hell. He says, I wish I could go to hell, that I could be separated from Christ for my brethren. I wish I could die for them. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are, not were, but are who. So he's burdened about the Israel that of that day, and as we should be Israel today, they were important to the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Israel that Paul is worried about are the unbelieving Jews. And they're just, they're Israelites, but they're unbelievers. They've rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and yes, they're the enemies of the gospel. You ever try to give the gospel to them? Wow, <laughs> you'll get some flame. That's okay. Uh, it's called persecution. You don't only go to people who like you. You don't only give the gospel to people who will hear. You know, there's a great illustration. Jesus has a sower, a planter. He's got a, a satchel of seed. And he's, Jesus says a sower went forth to sow. Now, even before he gets to the field that he's going to sow, and he sows on stony ground, thorny ground, remember that, and good ground. But he actually is spilling seed out of that that um, satchel along the way, and it ends up on footpath. Now, Jesus is giving you an illustration, even though you know they don't want to hear it, even though you don't think they're going to get saved, spill it out. Put the gospel out everywhere. There is, you don't know what somebody might take and remember a year down the line. You're planting seed everywhere, amen? So, um, uh, what, what matters is that Israel is lost. They, we read it there, need to be saved. Romans 10, 1, back there, he says, my prayer 
is that they might be saved, not condemned. <laughs> you know, each one of us are good at condemning other people and saying, you know, them. Uh, it, it's a wicked generation we live in where all we do is we point the finger. I never grew up like this. I mean, I I grew up in a, in in, uh, in an atheistic home, and we never talk bad about everybody like Christians do today. And Israel doesn't need to be condemned. They're already condemned. Amen. You ever read John chapter 3? This is the condemnation that light has come to the world and men, all men, love darkness rather than light. You don't have to condemn Israel and find all the faults with them. They already are condemned. Amen. <clears throat> they need to hear how to be saved and they need to know how to respond by faith. Paul has already proven, let me make a statement here, that there are two Israels, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not, they're not saved. But then there are those who believe God like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. Those are spiritual Israel. Those are the saved Israelites. Paul is a saved Israel. And there is the, the, the Israel he's praying for are the lost ones. He's praying for them because they've missed how to be saved. And if you start to get a burden for people, whether they're Jew or Gentile, no matter who they are, God will change your life. He goes on in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. He says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. And I'll just stop there for a second. Is zeal a good thing or a bad thing? Forget the fact I said it up there. <laughs> it's a good thing to have zeal. What is zeal? It's passion. It's excitement. It's, it's a love. You go, to a, you go to a soccer match. You go to the rugby. Uh, I don't know who won yesterday. Who won? Was it Ireland or Wales? Who won? Huh? Ireland won. Okay. Can you imagine all the Irish went and sat in the stands and went, boring. Oh, I could do better than that. That guy can't hold on to the ball. Nitpicking. And they just sat in the. No, no, no. When you see the Irish go and they're rooting for their team, what do you see? Zeal. Amen. <laughs> and when we, as Christians, we ought to just look at a lot of other religions. They got a whole lot more zeal than we do, don't they? I mean, you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door. ought to put you to shame. They're going door to door, and a lot of you aren't. Amen. You say, I want to be a soul winner. Then go. Come out with us. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses have a zeal. The Mormons have a zeal. The Jews had a zeal. They had a passion that drove them. Apathy is killing us. The Jews who sought God and were zealous of God he said, I have to stand in awe. They have a zeal. Um, Paul goes, he talks about, you know, being a Jew. I mean, they, they kept the Sabbath. Uh, they were, they were every Friday, Friday evening in Israel, every shop was closed at 5 p.m. Everyone was home by sunset. And for 24 hours, every Sabbath, there was no shopping, no working, just family time and worship time at the synagogue. That's good. That's zeal. Ireland used to have that. You have to go back about 80 years where the shops weren't open on Sunday. Remember that? Called them, in America, they called them the blue laws because everybody was sad. <laughs> Couldn't go shopping. But you know what people had to do? Stay home, go to church. I grew up on television. The weatherman would get up there and he'd talk about the weather for tomorrow. And then on Saturday, you know what he'd say? He says, we'll see you in the church of your choice tomorrow. That's what they said on TV. But you see, all that's gone. We just don't have any zeal for God. Oh, we got zero for, zeal for sports. We got zeal for Bitcoin. We got zeal in cryptocurrency. We've got zeal for, for computer games. We're out of balance. Amen? 
They have zeal. Paul's not finding fault with the zeal. Some of you think you're so spiritual because you don't move. No, you're dead. Amen. You're actually fault-finding dead. And it's killing us because the lost are doomed. And when you're talking, don't go with this attitude of, of and don't, don't, don't go out of this house, this God's house. Don't go out of this place thinking, well, nobody will hear. You don't prefigure. I would never have heard the gospel. I would have never gone to church on my own. I needed somebody to come to me on a Saturday night at 11 o'clock, walk up to me and hand a gospel tract to me. I needed that. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't reading the Bible. I needed somebody to go, maybe he'll listen. And I'm saved because Maureen Smith at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night took a chance and said, read this. Amen. I'm glad for her zeal. Amen. Paul says, there's zeal. Every baby boy was circumcised. They washed themselves continually. Uh, they took the Bible seriously. They had zeal. But then he goes on in Romans 10, 1, he, uh, verse 2, he says, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant. How many, is like, uh, how many of us like to be called ignorant? Hmm? You ignorant, dumb Texan. <laughs> Romans 2 says they are ignorant of the righteousness of God. You know, the Jews use a lot of energy trying to be good trying to be Jewish, trying to impress God. But Paul so sharply says they're ignorant of how to get it, how to get righteous. They were not prepared to do all that God said. They were actually doing all kinds of bits and pieces. Let me quote for you. Don't go there. Matthew 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Those are little herbs. If somebody gave them a, sat, a little bag of, of uh, cinnamon, or uh, coming or whatever, they immediately weighed it out and measured out one-tenth and says, I'll give that to God. They were so precise. And um, he says, and he goes on, he says, you, you've been able to tithe from mint, mint, and anise and cumin, but have omitted the weightier matters of the law like judgment and mercy and faith. Now these th ought you have done and not leave the other done. Do it all, he said. But they just did not want to accept and follow a Messiah they didn't like. They were ignorant. Go to, uh, hold your, well, we'll come back to this moment. Go to Luke chapter 20. The gospel of Luke chapter 20. I'll show you how ignorant they were. Luke chapter 20 in verse 9. I'm going to read down to verse 16. You'll see the picture here being developed in a parable, in a story that Jesus teaches. Luke chapter 20 and verse 9. Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and let it forth to husbandmen and went to a far country for a long time. So he says, my guy's got this field and he hires some people to take care of the field and grow the vineyard um, uh, grapes. Verse 10, and, this, and at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen, the farmers, that they should give him the prophets, from the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen, what'd they do to him? They beat him and they sent him away empty. All right. That's, uh, how would you, if you owned a business and you were working from home one day and you sent, you know, somebody to go and, and um, uh, collect the money and take it to the bank. And when, when they arrived there and talked to the, 
you know, one of the guys on staff, and they beat him up and sent him out the door empty. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's saying, verse 11, and again, this landowner, he sent another servant, and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. Verse 12, again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out, threw him out the door. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? Something's wrong. They're not understanding. I will send my beloved, who? Oh, I'll send my son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. You know, that's grace, isn't that? That's mercy. That the landowner says, I'll keep trying. I'll just, I'll, I'll send my best now. I'll send my son. Verse 14, but when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, ah, this is the heir. This is who's going to get all of our wealth. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. And Jesus asked, what therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, God forbid, because the penny dropped and they realized he was talking about them. He was talking about how they were, he was prophesying and saying, this is how you're going to treat me one day. And didn't they kill the son of God? Wow. And they said, that, that, that can't be. So when God sent his son, you'd better accept him because the, this parable is no idle threat. How you deal with God is not the level of sin that you've committed. Are you listening to me? You say, so-and-so, he's a wicked adulterer. He's on, his, he, he's on his 25th girl. He's been married three times and he never has been faithful to her. Here's another guy. He's a drunkard. For the last 40 years, he's just lived on the bottle. And here's somebody, oh, they're a good person. They go to church. You know what? God doesn't care about any one of your states. You know what he cares? How did you treat his son? Did you receive him or did you reject him? What sends a person to hell? Your reaction to Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Because if you think that by being good, you're on your way up, you haven't risen above sea level yet, and you never will. You say, well, I'm so low. No, no, no. We're all at the same level. We're all sinful. We're all separated from God, and without Jesus Christ, your goodness will never reach to heaven. Do you see that? People are so ignorant of this. And instead, go back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. The Jews are example. When God wants to point out and teach us something, he used the Jewish people. He says, they were seeking to establish, verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What's wrong with Israel? They tried to set up their own religion. They tried to set up their own righteousness. They wanted to show God that their lives were good enough to be honored and worthy enough of heaven. They wanted God to think that their efforts were enough they didn't have to do anything more. And you know what? The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Roman Catholics, and a whole lot of Baptists think the same thing. You know what the nightmare is going to be? When every one of people who think that, well, I've, I've got my own righteousness, every one of them will stand before God and discover that they spent their entire life. Can you imagine? I told you about I witnessed to a, a, a nun who's retiring, and she has spent 40 some odd years down in Central Africa dealing with some of the worst situations. I let her explain. Talk about all the problems, the diseases, the illnesses that she had to face in her own life. And, and, and uh, she said, I've done all this. And I said, you're an amazing woman. 
You have selflessly given. But are you saved, I asked. She said, what does that mean? So I handed her a gospel tract. I said, would you just read this for a few minutes? I just want you to get some background, and then I'll answer you. So she read it. She said, I like this tract. Everything except the last part. I said, what's this part? She said, the part that says that I deserve hell, and I need to be saved. Because if what I have just gone through, this is what she said, if I have just gone through what I've just told you a little bit of, if I've gone through all that and that's not good enough for God, then I don't want anything to do with him. Do you understand that? What was she doing? She didn't realize the righteousness of God in Jesus. She's trying to set up her own righteousness. And if God doesn't accept it, she says, good riddance. Wow. Um, got a little picture here. You know what this guy's trying to do? He's by illustration. Now, there's nothing wrong with mountain climbing, nothing wrong with doing a big thing, a hard thing. But, you know, that's, that's the person living in this life. And he says, you know what? I'm going to try to reach God. I'm going to try to be good enough. I'm going to say my prayers, try to be good to my wife, try to do, uh, do good to my kids. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to do all these things. That's a good thing. Would you agree? But if by all your effort you think that you're going to reach heaven, you are so mistaken. Because I found every time I went climbing over in the Black Valley in Killarney, <clears throat> you go climbing. As soon as you get up top of one hill, there's another one. <laughs> and you hit that next hill, and there's another one beyond it. You never reach the top and the finish. And by all your effort, you will never reach God when just over, if you just by faith, you trust Jesus Christ, you cross the finish line by one step. So how far do I have to go to get to God? One step down. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? And what Israel couldn't understand, and what most people don't understand is, religion says, do harder, do better, do more, be good, on and on and on and on, when Jesus says, come to me. Say, where is he? Right next to you. He's not Lock Derg. He's not down in Mecca. He's not over in New York City. He's right next to you. You got to humble yourself and just cry out to him and say, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I can't find you. Would you find me? That works. So we come to verse 4, and Paul says so emphatically, so beautifully, the shortest conclusion ever. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for what? Isn't that beautiful? For righteousness to everyone that works hard. To everyone that believeth. You know, what does it mean? It doesn't mean it's the death of the law. The law didn't die, <clears throat> okay? Um, something absolutely wonderful. Go to Matthew chapter, well, I won't, I get time. But uh, every jot and every tittle of the law was accomplished. I'm going to use the word fulfilled so you understand it better. When Jesus died, Jesus, when he died on the cross in John 19, 10, he said, it is finished. Now, I'm finished, but it, everything I came to do. And so the truth is this, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the expectations of God's laws. He accomplished what the law demanded. You know what the law demands? Absolute perfection. And Jesus is the only one who ever fulfilled all the expectations of righteousness. If Jesus was just a man and not God, he lived perfectly. You know what he did? He earned heaven, didn't he? If he's only a man and he was as perfect as he was, then I guess he's in heaven. Amen. But you see, he didn't earn. He didn't fulfill righteousness for himself. He fulfilled righteousness for sinners. 
So if he's God in the flesh, he, he saved me. He was able to, to, he wasn't trying to earn righteousness for himself. He was earning righteousness to give to me. Romans 5, 19. Uh, you're in Romans 10. Go back to Romans 5 and verse 19. Romans 5, 19. Paul is comparing Adam with Jesus. Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, who was that? Adam. Many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So who, who was Adam? Listen, Adam didn't even keep the simplest law ever. Just stay away from the tree, dude. I mean, what, what simpler command can you give? Why would we think if Adam couldn't keep that one that we could keep any other? But by another man, the second Adam, Jesus, by his obedience, so many are made righteous. So let me ask you a question. Should a man or woman be baptized? Yes. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus and you die before you get a chance to be baptized, guess what? Jesus already was baptized for you. You're okay. Amen? Do you understand? Go to Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Matthew 3, 13. Watch these words. Say, why did Jesus get baptized? Watch this. There's a, there's a children's book out. And some nut, probably a woman, some ecumenical trans-feminazi person put in there, Jesus getting baptized, and he says, this is Jesus talking. I want to be baptized to wash away my sins. That's what Jesus is saying. You imagine what they're teaching kids in churches all across this country and all over the world? What a wicked, blasphemous thing. Jesus had no sin to wash away. Baptism doesn't wash away sin. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him. He stopped him. He says, wait a minute. Saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? Why are you coming to me? Verse 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, suffer it to be so now. Make it so, as as uh, um, Star Trek would say, for thus it becometh us to what? To fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. So what was Jesus doing? He was fulfilling the requirements of the law so that I don't have to. You say, Pastor, I don't have to be baptized? No, but you should be. If you're born again and you're saved, you should get baptized. But baptism is not going to save you. And if you miss getting baptized and you die in a car wreck today, if you're saved, you're going straight into the presence of God. Amen? Okay, you understand that. Let me give you another example. Uh, should a man or woman keep the Sabbath? Ooh, trick question. Yes. But in case you can't keep it perfectly, and in case you don't even know when the Sabbath is, Jesus kept it for you. Hallelujah. Amen? Hey, should we stay away from ham and, and uh, uh, sausages and pork and all this stuff? Yeah. But in case you have a couple of sausages with your breakfast, Jesus stayed away from sausages perfectly. It's okay. Amen? Now you're looking at me going, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm trying to tell you.
You can fail to keep the law and be saved. Amen? Because Jesus kept the law. He was what the Jews were missing. They thought, we've got to keep it. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to only say this. We've got to tie that. And they missed. Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. Should a man be circumcised? Yes. But in case you're not, Jesus was circumcised for you. He fulfilled all righteousness. Isn't that cool? Jesus kept the whole law and fulfilled all his requirements. So if you forget to tithe, and you don't quite tithe exactly 10%, God's not going to send you to hell. Amen. If you miss church, if you have to miss church, if you get angry and say something hurtful and wrong, if you, re if you rebel against authority, if you don't wash your hands after touching raw mincemeat or raw chicken, Jesus perfectly kept the law so that none of that will affect your soul. Amen. Now, it may make you sick. <laughs> Amen. Are you with me? Everybody nod your head. He is the fulfillment of law. He's the end of the law. He finished the, the requirements of the law. Should I obey the law? Yes. But if I don't, if I mess up, if I fail, I'm still okay. That's why I'm eternally secure because he can't fail. So Jesus Christ alone fulfilled the law. This is what Jewish people are ignorant of. They'd close their eyes and their ears to the word of God. You know what happens? You get around somebody you don't like and you won't listen in one word they say. And that's a sin. Because our liking, not liking, I say some people say, Pastor, if you were just nicer, I try to be nice. I try to tell jokes. Nobody likes my jokes. I only hear about it afterwards. Please don't tell me more jokes. I try to be nice. But if I upset you, please get over it because what I'm telling you is the God honest truth and it'll save your soul. Amen. Maybe somebody else could get up here and do better than me. I'll be glad to let you. But the truth is the Jewish people did not like how Jesus spoke. They didn't like how he acted. They wanted him to get a sword and go fight the Romans and he laid down his own life. You got to understand. They rejected what Jesus Christ was doing and they went to hell. You want to join them? Wow. Mm. You know what 1 Corinthians 1.30 says? But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, he is made unto us wisdom, next word, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is righteous for me. He is my sanctification. He is my redemption. He is the wisdom of God. Christ fulfilled the law. So for our righteousness. And that's what the Jewish people are ignorant of. And, and, I, and I'm ashamed to say that so many Christians are too. You know what people say? Well, I'm doing my best. Why? Well, I'm, not, I'm not, just not quite sure if I'm really saved. Get sure, amen? Why would you live in doubt? Don't think that, well, if I were, you ought to be faithful. You ought to be in church. You ought to be reading your Bible every day. You ought to be handing out gospel tracts. But I'm telling you, that will not get you one inch closer to heaven. Amen. And you say, well, I'm, I, I'm just going to go drink. I'm going to go get drunk. That won't send you one inch closer to hell. You're already going. You need Jesus Christ. And don't be ignorant of him. So let me ask which is better. He goes on, look in um, uh, verse 5. Romans chapter 10 and verse 5. I got to get back there. Romans 10 and verse 5. 
For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things, those things in the law, shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall ascend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. It's even in your hand, by the way, the Bible. That is the word of faith, even in thy heart. The word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe where? In, not in your head. You're not going to be able to understand it, but you can believe it in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto Oh, but pastor, I've got to make sure that I don't wear polyester with, with wool. That's what the Jews, that's one of the laws. I can't have cheese on my burger. That's what the Jewish law required. And in this thing, if, if you are thinking that, that um, if I just do these things, if I just stay away from cheese, if I just do this, I'll be more holy. You will not. Read verse 10 again. For with the heart, man believeth. And he attains, he grabs, he gets righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto, beautiful word, salvation. So which is better? Doing the works of the law by Moses? By your obedience? Well, that's a crazy thing. I mean, honestly, the righteousness of the law of Moses? Can you keep all the laws and not break one of them? It's not possible. 613 of them. I mean, obey all the Levitical laws. Read Leviticus next time looking for all the instructions on how to worship God, and you'll go, impossible. All the Levitical laws, all the ceremonial laws, all the moral laws, as well as all the civil laws of government and justice, 613 of them. And Moses said if you're going to try and keep the law, you need to live them. You can't just do them every once in a while. It needs to be your life. Because if you don't keep the law perfectly, you're no longer righteous. You're a lawbreaker. That's what the Bible calls a sinner. But isn't it wonderful? You see, the, trying to do the works of the law, you'll find yourself failing constantly, and you'll, you'll know you deserve God's wrath. But verse 6, let me read it again. The righteousness which is of faith, not of works of the law, speaketh on this wise... And he says, now watch this. I, I'm going to come back to this. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. Let's all get to heaven. That is so that we can bring Christ down from above. Or who's going to go deep into the, into the earth? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is so nigh, so near you, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, if you would just believe it, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt, let me just stop there. I better stop there. Um, in this point, Paul is teaching how the, 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 the believing the words of faith works by trusting Christ's obedience. Um, and, and you receive righteousness. I'm going to get to this next thing. This is how faith works. All right. You ready? Look there in verse six. He says somebody's trying to get up to heaven to knock Jesus down. Did you notice that? You ever wonder about that verse? If, if you want to believe that Jesus, if you want to get really saved, you quit trying to dethrone Jesus Christ and take his place. That's what, that's what all religions are, is basically the lie of Genesis chapter 3. Ye shall be as gods. That's what Satan lied. Don't you ever try to be up there. Your place is 
down on the ground saying, I am unworthy. And if, if we could just realize the battle today against God is we're trying to replace him, aren't we? You know, most people have replaced prayer with government entitlement. They want the government to take care of them. They won't get a job. They won't take care of their own bills. They want the government. You know what you need to do? Pray and get busy working. Amen. A job. And the, uh, uh, the picture here is that most religions, if not all of them, are trying to kick Jesus off the throne. You ever, you, ever, uh, you go to a Catholic church and they ring that little bell. Do you know what happens when they ring that bell? That priest is raising up that wafer and he's calling on Jesus to come down and inhabit that piece of bread. That Bible says, don't you dare try and do that. Because you don't need to bring him down and dethrone him and make him a piece of bread. He is Lord. He cannot die anymore. You're not continuing the sacrifice. You're not making a new sacrifice. One sacrifice forever has been done. Amen? So reject the self-righteous idea that I don't need you, Jesus. I can get all the way up there without you. That's what, That's what the picture is. Don't dethrone Jesus. Secondly, Faith works where you believe in what Jesus accomplished for you. Verse 8, what, is a, what says the word of faith? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which, which we preach, that if thou, not someone else, but you shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So accept the fact that you're not righteous. You're not good enough to get up there. Quit trying to say, I don't need Jesus Christ. Anybody who says, I don't need church, I don't need the Bible, I don't need Jesus Christ, you know what you're saying? You're God. You're trying to take his place. Don't you dare. He doesn't give space, amen? And what you do, secondly, is you start to believe, I guess he's all the righteousness I need. If I just believe on the Lord Jesus, what does he say? Thou shalt be saved. You know, most people's problem is, I know we're sinners. Every, every person you meet, it's kind of hard to get them to convince them that they're sinners. But you know what their problem is? Self-righteousness. They think they're not that bad of a sinner. Amen. So accept Christ's righteousness. It's a gift. Confess with your mouth that you agree with God. No negotiation. There's a term in American law when you stand before the court and they ask you, what do you say uh, to, these, to these accusations? You can say guilty or you can say not guilty, but there's one other one. No contest. No lo contendo. It's Latin for I'm not going to fight. You win. You know how to get saved? Let him win. Yes, I'm guilty, but I'm not going to fight you. I don't want to justify. You win. And you know what? God does everything backwards, doesn't he? If you want to be elevated and honored, the Bible says go low, doesn't it? Humble yourself. And the Bible says that if you come to God as a sinner, guilty and worthy of his judgment, you walk away with forgiveness. Isn't that awesome? Everything's backwards. So, um, I want to. I want to say perfect righteousness. I want to finish up with this thing. I don't want to miss this. Go to Romans 6 and verse 23. I'll say it more next week. 
But Romans 6.23, yes. For the wages of sin is death. That's what you're going to earn, folks. You say, I don't sin very much. It's still going to kill you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, wages you earn, gift you receive. The gift of God is what kind of life? Woohoo! Not probationary, not part time, but eternal life, and it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what faith is. You say, How? I don't understand. You know what most people know? They know a bit of the gospel. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. It's it's on the tip of your tongue. A lot of people, I can ask people and says, where would you go if you died? Uh, I, I hope to go to heaven. How do you think you get to heaven? Oh, I believe in Jesus. I said, do you realize what you just said? It's on the tip of your tongue if you only would believe it. Amen? And a lot of people, it's right in your hands. You see those, your own scriptures, and you never just go, I now believe. How long would it take? How distant it's not like 20 miles you're only 10 inches away from hearing and believing saving faith so next week i'm gonna pick this up and i'll show you what sends a person to hell say rats <laughs> yep coming from romans chapter 10 i'll also show you what's going to happen when people stand before god and then that's plain as day i'm going to try to explain um if it'll get down there i'll show you how a person gets saved, and basically you'll learn this so that you can tell somebody how to be saved. Hopefully you're saved. I, man, I'm preaching long enough. I know people believe, amen, but not everybody does. There are some people in here that come, and I'm glad you're here, but you're 12 inches away from heaven. You've heard it, but you don't believe it. You won't trust the only one who ever loved you enough to die for you. So this may be the hardest news to hear when somebody tells you you're in a mess, you're in trouble with God. Listen to somebody talk about all the different ways you can give the gospel out. And you know what most people do? God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God wants to make you happy. That is the wrong way to give the gospel. You know what the real way is? You're in trouble with God. God is going to judge you for every sin, not just the ones you remember. You're in trouble with God. And death is only the beginning of a disaster that will go on for eternity without hope and without God. That's hell. That's how you start. So as you can tell them, but you don't have to die that way. You don't have to go into eternity without hope, without salvation, without Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I got saved to give your testimony. That may be the hardest news to hear, but it's the best news, isn't it? It's called the gospel. It's the greatest news ever. Greatest opportunity anybody could ever have. You know what? If you had invested in Bitcoin 10 years ago, a Bitcoin that doesn't exist. But the guys who invented Bitcoin, he gave it the value of a couple of US dollars and he bought a pizza with two Bitcoin. He spent two whole Bitcoins. One Bitcoin now costs, you'd get 60 some odd thousand dollars for one of those Bitcoins. <laughs> Do you know what? That's good news to people who've been investing in Bitcoin. But I've got better news. You can have eternal life. And never have a bit of Bitcoin. Amen? This is best news. This is the best opportunity ever. You have now been offered what every devout Jew and every devout Catholic and every devout Mormon and every devout Jehovah's Witness has worked their lives for. And you're being offered it for free. The question is, will you take it?
We believe that it's true and will work for you. It's time to believe it now. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, right then and there shall be saved. Put your name in there. He says, Lord, if you'll save me, I'll trust you. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, of all the truths in the book of Romans, this is the greatest. This is this has all led up to us to understand that it was all Jesus. He did it all. If I'm trying to be good, if I'm trying to be righteous, if I'm trying to earn, if I'm trying to work toward heaven, I'm as if saying I want Jesus off the throne, I'm going to sit there. Or, yes, I know Jesus rose from the dead, but I'm going to dig him up myself. I'm going to make the resurrection normal. I'm going to make it. I'm just going to get rid of Jesus. It's all me. I'm the only one that matters. When it's so opposite, Father. It's all Jesus Christ. And if there's any good news for some Gentiles up in Ireland, it's that Jesus saves. Not a church, not a preacher, not a priest. Not ourselves. We just need to believe and believe with all our heart, not just believe in our head, God. And Lord, Christians in here, we are, we're ready to shout. We're ready to just raise our hands in adoration and awe that, that, that Jesus saves. But if there's somebody in this room who's never been born again, and they've just come to church and they've heard, but it's just been on the tip of their tongue and they've never been able to say it, Lord, would you help them to say it now and say, I agree, I confess, Jesus needs to save me, and I want him to save me now. I believe, and I'm going to follow. I'm never going to do it right, but he's got my life now. And I pray that somebody does that today, and they, boy, they just let it be known. There's no, there's no shame in being a believer of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, just give us that thrill, and let somebody be saved today. And may the rest of us just never get over the thrill of being born again. In Jesus' name, amen.